Welcome to Canaan Bound Podcast, Episode 5. I'm Tom Barthel, currently serving as pastor at Christ Lutheran Church in Baxter, Minnesota. We'll begin with a passage in prayer shared by Pastor David Beckman. John 7, verse 18. He who works for the honor of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Lord Jesus, we praise you for revealing to us your truth. We praise you for being our truth. There's so little truth around us in this world that many people don't seem to understand what it is. Politicians twist and distort to get votes. Salespersons exaggerate to get money. From little on, children develop the art of lying to get what they want or to avoid what they deserve. We'd be foolish to assume this way of thinking does not affect us. Help us to see what distortions and lies are, sins against you and our Heavenly Father. Forgive us for trying to cover up our mistakes on our own, and lead us to see that only your precious blood can remove sin's stain. Because you are the man of truth, convince us ever more completely that you have forgiven us, that you have given us unending life, and that you will receive us into heaven's joy. Open our ears to hear that truth, our hearts to find comfort in that truth, and our mouths to speak that truth. Let your saving truth drown out the world's lies and fill countless thousands with true and lasting hope in you. Amen. Up next we have our Canaan-bound devotion. We turn to the section of Holy Scripture which records a fresh and new world for us. Not the new heaven and earth, not the world we still look forward to, but the rejuvenated world of the past, the one that emerged from the receding waters of the great flood. The time is now some 22 centuries before Christ, or over 4,000 years ago. Imagine Noah's family growing in numbers, spreading about the empty lands, their children, their resources, their options seemingly limitless. The will of God was written on their hearts and passed on by their fathers, including Noah, who still lived on many years after the flood. God blesses creation so that it once again is teeming with life. He added the blessing to Noah's descendants that they could now eat meat. They had the sign of God's promise, sure in the rainbow, that came with the rains from heaven. The whole world, once again, was full of believers. At least, had been only a few generations earlier. What happened, I wonder? Didn't Noah's sons remember the wrath of God which he poured out on the sin around them and which remained over the earth for an entire year? Didn't they pass on the mercy of God to their children, how he spared them from destruction, sustained their lives? Didn't they build altars and worship the Lord like their grandfather and their great-grandfather Noah? Who was calling on the Lord? What happened? Instead of living like they wanted to build altars and obey God, they built a city in defiance to God's will, his will for them to spread about. For all of our differences, we really do have a lot in common as a human race. It is an inbred condition which we all display, rebellion toward our Creator. We live with the same rebellious heart as those who sought to build a city in defiance. 
We are born with it. But God's rescue brings us to a city not made by human will, human heart, or human hand. It is a perfect place of blessing, made by the heart and will of God. Though things haven't changed in the past 4,000 years for mankind, things haven't changed regarding the grace of our God. He has spared his people through the blessings promised in the water and word given in baptism. He has seen our sin, but his mercy remains greater than the sign of the rainbow in the flood. After the flood is the promise connected to word and sacrament, something which isn't obtained by human hands, but the heart and will of God. We read from Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Why live to build a tower in defiance of his will? Like the people of Israel, headed to the promised land, we look forward to a city not made by human hands. Remember the promised rest. I'm happy to introduce a new artist that we'll be sharing on Kanenbaum Podcast. This artist is called Spark and Echo Band. You can find more information at sparkandechoband.com. You can also look at their project and find information regarding their project at sparkandecho.org. This song is called White Robe, a song based off of Revelation 7, verses 9 through 17. Sir, you know she's one of the ones who washed her robe in the blood 
us again For we have a shepherd who will wipe every tear from our eyes I see you in a white robe I see you Up next, we have God's Word for You, shared by Pastor Timothy Smith. God's Word for You, Job 1, verses 6 through 12. This is Job's first test. In the early days of our nation, many men had left their Christianity behind to become deists. One of their beliefs was that God was little more than a clockmaker who fashioned the world, wound it up, and let it go without further interference. We see their error, but do we sometimes make the same mistake with Satan? Do we ever think of the devil as just a wicked clockmaker? Do we think that the devil and his mischief are working somewhere else, but that he doesn't really touch our lives? Listen to verse 6. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. This verse, is, this, this verse causes a great many people to wonder what's going on. The angels, here the Hebrew says sons of God, another term for the angels, they came before God, and our author uses a special verb form called a hitpael to depict a sort of back-and-forth motion to the way they arrange themselves before God, the way new soldiers line up by looking at each other's shoulders as they snap to attention. The angels are all specially arranged before God, but then here is another one in their midst. And after the beauty of the first expression, there is a, different, a definite rudeness to the later expression, in their midst, or as NIV says, with them. He wasn't part of God's special heavenly arrangement. He had abandoned his place And now he showed up like a bug in the sugar bowl. Who was this other one? He is Ha-Satan, the Satan, or simply Satan as we call him. The Hebrew word Satan means prosecuting attorney or opponent or accuser. It can simply stand for a human adversary in a courtroom as it does in Psalm 109 verse 6. But usually in the Bible, this word is a title for the devil. The devil's two main mischiefs are present in his two names. Devil, Greek diabolos, means liar and shows us that he will do anything, speak any lie, twist any truth to get us to sin. Once he has led us astray, off goes the devil hat and pop, on goes his Satan hat and he begins to accuse us. How could you? God will never forgive your sin. You aren't worthy of forgiveness. How could God be so cruel as to make rules that make you unhappy? That's the devil talking. There's only one way to heaven. One single degree setting on a compass with 359 other degrees that don't lead to eternal life. The devil doesn't care which degree we take as long as it isn't the one that points to Christ. Verse 7, 
The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. God's question to his formerly faithful emissary is double-edged. Where have you come from? Could easily point uh, to God himself as to the location from which the devil just this moment appeared. But the devil ignores the Lord's subtlety and makes a play on his own name instead. Mashuth, the root is similar to Satan, he says, from roaming. There are some who don't think the devil was really there before the Lord with the angels, but somehow, I don't know, projected his voice or thoughts into the assembly of the sons of God. While I respect the sentiment, I would strongly caution anyone against saying that the text of the Bible does not mean what it says in such simple language. How did the devil slip into heaven before God? The text doesn't say that this was heaven. God can appear wherever he wants, however he wants. But what is important is that the conversation really took place. Let's look at verse 8. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. God's judgment of Job doesn't have to meet anybody's criteria except God's. God says Job was upright. A sinner, yes, but upright. Guilty of being born sinful, yes, but also innocent before God because Job trusted God for all his blessings and for his salvation as well. The ancient believers like Job and Adam didn't land in some celestial waiting room after they died until Christ's resurrection set them free from the bonds of sin and death. They trusted in God, and that trust was the channel for God's own righteousness. It was the gift of faith. The text says he feared God and shuns evil. The whole life of the believer is there. To fear God is to have the inner love and respect for God that is faith. To shun evil is to live out that faith in one's life. Job did both. He believed and he let his light shine. Verses 9 through the beginning of 12. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself? Do not lay a finger. The devil didn't think that Job would stay so squeaky clean if God let him remove his wealth in his household. But Satan didn't strike Job without God's permission. This was to be a test, not merely a temptation. God never tests us or permits us to be tested more than we are able to withstand. That's 1 Corinthians 10.13. There is always a way through the pain. So to Satan, God said, this far and no farther. The devil could strike Job's livelihood, but not Job himself. The end of verse 12 says, Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Are you safe from the devil? 
While the world spins in space, Satan slithers in and out of our lives. He comes to us in enticing temptations. He creeps up in cravings and curiosity. He hunkers down behind bad habits. He comes in words. He comes in thoughts. He comes in images. He comes in memories of past sins and temptations. He comes. He comes. He comes again. Has he come to you in a poor role model? Has he come in the desire for a late model sports car? Has he come in the desire for a supermodel? Has he come in the lust for power? Has he come in the lateness of an hour? Has he come in the despair of the emptiness, loneliness, or pennilessness that causes some to turn their backs on God and say, I'll have to take care of myself? In the book of Job, Satan must come before God to admit what he has been doing, and he confesses, I have been roaming throughout the earth. There is no place locked so securely that the devil cannot find us. But for all the devil's careful, crafty art in tempting us, we have an answer. Jesus. Jesus broke the devil's power when he let himself be put to death because Jesus carried the sentence of every human being with him on the cross. When Jesus died, our sins, our guilt, and our sentence died with him. Now Jesus has risen from the dead, but our sins, our guilt, our shame can never rise from the dead. They're gone forever. God has forgiven us and given us proof through Jesus' resurrection. Jesus lives, and so Shall we? Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, my God and my Lord, I have sinned against you. I've been caught by my old enemy, the devil, and I have let him turn me away from you. Forgive my sins. Bring me into your word that teaches me that everything you did for me, you did because you love me. You did it all. Amen. In Christ, I'm Pastor Tim Smith. This is God's Word for you. Next, we have a short devotion shared by Pastor Aaron Nitz. The portion of God's Word that we're going to focus our attention on today is Luke chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. They read, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Can you imagine being one of those shepherds that first Christmas? To be minding your own business when the skies suddenly light up? To have the glory of the Lord shine all around you? To appear as a sinful human in the presence of God's holy angel? It was terrifying for those shepherds. Why? Not only was it sudden and unexpected, but there was also no other time when they had seen their sinfulness so clearly. They were in the presence of a holy angel. But notice what the angel doesn't say. He doesn't say, It's okay, God's overlooked your sin, or God's ignored your sin. He doesn't say, You better start doing better and living a better life. No, he says, Do not be afraid. A Savior has been born to you. God has provided the Savior that you and I need. 
God was not okay with us going to hell. God was not okay with us spending eternity suffering his wrath. So he did what was necessary. He came. God came to save you and me. And that's what Christmas is all about. That's what gives you joy no matter what. God has come to save you. Life eternal is yours. Rejoicing to have such a God like that. And so do you. God's blessings on your day. We'll conclude with a song by Chris Dreisbach, Just Give Me Jesus, from his album, Jesus is the Man. Visit chrisdreisbach.com or nph.net. I'm tired of Christmas Of decking the halls All the selling and buying And jingling and music in malls The candy is tempting Trees sparkle with light But where is the joy of the holy night Shepherds worshipped a child Just give me Jesus One Bethlehem night The crowds of the senses The angels delight Sing me the story And I'll spread the word Give God the glory for all of the wonders that I've seen and heard I'm tired of reindeer Weary of toys Tired of hearing how great it will be if we're good girls and boys Watch out if I'm naughty Pretty gifts if I'm nice None of it eases the pain That's healed with the gift of the Christ Give me the manger, the stable, the baby That's both God and man My soul is crying my heart is broken Needing the comfort the world can't provide But only he can Oh, give me Jesus One Bethlehem night The crowds of the senses The angels delight Sing me the story And I'll spread the word Give God the glory for all of the wonders That I've seen and heard Singing with angels Of all of the wondrous things I've seen and heard
This podcast featured music by Spark and Echo Band, sparkandechoband.com. We also had music featured by Chris Dreisbach, chrisdreisbach.com. You have been listening to Episode 5 of Canaan Bound Podcast. This podcast was first shared on January 2013. Visit CanaanBoundPodcast.com to learn how you can support the Ministry of the Wells and the artist featured on this podcast. Once again, my name is Tom Barthel. It was a privilege to be your host for this episode. We encourage you to visit wells.net to find a ministry location near you. Thanks for listening. Singing with angels of all of the wondrous things I've seen and heard.